Well, hello, church. I want to welcome our Bendor family, those tuning in online, and all of you here at Rock Island. It is a joy to gather as the church. And we've been gathering as the church in the first part of 2017 to talk through the bold moves and direction that God has for us as a church family. And last week that culminated with an invitation to make our own individual bold moves. And, and we're still processing all that God's been doing, but I got to tell you, I'm humbled by how he's working in and through the church family. I know many of you are still praying through what your bold move is, but the initial response has been strong and unified. Just through last weekend, there are more than 700 families who have committed to make their next bold moves. Families and individuals all across our network. God is working and moving in big ways. And if last week you missed it, or you weren't prepared to step and make your bold move, or even if you're just taking a bit more time to pray, I want to encourage all of you to, when you're ready to declare that bold move, you can declare that bold move through the card that's been provided and available, or you can even go online to heritageqc.com under the bold moves page, and you'll find an electronic means of declaring that bold move commitment. And I invite you to do that over the next few weeks. And if you've missed this conversation, you're like, I'm not sure I'm tracking what's going on. I want to encourage you to get caught up. You'll find information online, but I want to encourage you specifically to, to journey through the messages of the Bold Move series. So you get a sense of the, the heart and the purpose and direction behind the conversation we're having. And if you still have questions after that, be sure to be part of The Scoop, February 12th, right here at the Rock Island campus at 6 p.m. We're going to talk about more details and just some next steps around all the vision pieces and invite you to be part of that. But until then, I want to invite you to continue to pray. Continue to pray and ask God to go before us. Because just like Moses declared in Exodus 33, 15, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us up from here. That's our heartbeat and that's our posture. So pray that God would continue to go before us. And as, as we continue to make our bold moves, we're going to take some time in this next season to talk about some foundational principles that God expects us to live by. They, they lead to greater freedom. They, they lead to greater joy. They position us to experience God's great purpose in our lives. But many of us actually struggle to make sense of what God wants and what he's doing because we don't understand how he works. We want to know him. We want to follow him. But when we don't understand how he works, then we don't understand how we engage in that, and we don't understand how we can get off track. But what if we could get past all that? What if we could understand how he works and what he wants? What if there were a few key principles that positioned us to experience greater freedom and greater joy, God's greater purposes in life? You see, following God and walking with him requires something. If we're going to walk with God, walking with him will require us to live by his principles. And if you're tracking along in your note guide, that's your first fill-in. That walking with God requires living by his principles. By whose principles? His, God's principles. Now we're not talking about rules, we're talking about principles. We're not talking about rules to control, we're talking about principles that guide, even protect. And, and we all understand the, the basic concept of principles, standard practices, guiding truth, those fundamental realities that define how we behave, what we decide to do or not to do. And we encounter principles all over the place, different groups, different jobs, different countries, all have different principles. 
Some of them are big and some are small. Some are overt and some are subtle. But the most impactful principles are often the most simple. And just recently I came across eight great principles that I just found are really good and and just powerful. And I want to take a moment to share them with you. There are eight great principles from the perspective of a farmer. So let me just read them to you and allow you to consider them in your own life. Here's the first one. Life is more simple when you plow around the stump (laughs) rather than into the stump. That's good. That's good. Here's number two. A bumblebee is considerably faster than a John Deere tractor. Yes, it is. Plan accordingly. Number three, do not corner something you know is meaner than you. That's some good truth right there. Not bad to consider. Number four, when you wallow with pigs, expect to get dirty. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, indeed. Number five, don't judge folks by their relatives. Can I get an amen? Amen. There we go. Good. Number six, if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing to do is stop digging. Stop digging. Some of you need to write that one down. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Here we go. Number seven, always drink upstream from the herd. Upstream, not downstream. Good counsel. And number eight, last one, letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. Whole lot easier. Just some good words of wisdom and principles from a farmer. And we can find principles all over the place. In fact, when I was in the military, all kinds of principles we were supposed to follow. From chain of command, military courtesy, how we functioned in groups, how we wore our uniforms, all kinds of principles. And when you follow the principles, it led towards favor. But if you rejected the principles, it led to problems. So rejecting the principles of the military would have put me at odds with the U.S. Army and my chain of command. But following them leads to favor. And in a very similar way, following the principles of God leads to favor. Walking with God requires living by His principles. Now, many of us can struggle to make sense of what he's doing and what he wants. But that's often simply a result of not understanding how he works. Not understanding his principles. And in that complexity, we can struggle to navigate life and relationships and love with him and others. But hopefully by the end of our series, that won't be the case for you. Because we're going to unpack some life-changing principles that many people don't understand and therefore struggle in their relationship with God to make sense of what he wants and what he's doing. But when we understand those principles, we can navigate life significantly differently. Because walking with God requires following his principles. These principles we're going to engage in, many have changed my life, and I believe they can change your life. So let's just get started into it. In fact, we're going to go through a number of principles today, some of which we're re-engaging from previous conversations. We've looked at it before, but they're important enough to once in a while revisit. And so we're starting this conversation in this series, engaging a few of those principles. And in God's grand and infinite wisdom, he has established boundaries and limits for us with principles. And the first and foundational principle that I want to identify is the principle of harvest. It's the principle of harvest. 
God has laid the foundation of the world on the principle of harvest. If we follow it, we find favor. If we violate it, we miss out. Yet many people struggle, even though it's a simple sequence. Because the principle of harvest is a building process that starts with buying. There's an investment. There's a cost connected to that. The principle of harvest is to buy, to plow, to plant, to water, and to weed. That ultimately leads to harvest. That's the principle that God has laid the foundation of the world on. And and we all love the idea of harvest. We want harvest. It's fun. It's exciting. But no one can live in unending harvest. No one can. Crops can't do it. Soil can't do it. People can't do it. No one can. Harvest always comes through the process, and it's this process. Buying, plowing, planting, watering, weeding. It's tending, it's sacrificing, it's investing. And and we can't skip any one step. It doesn't work that way. Harvest always comes through the process. It's not unending, but yet we often try to chase it and just pursue it and live in some perpetual state of harvest. But it doesn't work that way. Yet, when we are faithful and generous in buying and plowing and planting and watering and weeding, then we get to see God bring a great harvest. It's true in agricultural and farming, but it's true in life. And it's our first principle. Just consider the words out of Genesis chapter 8. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. There is a reality of planting that leads to harvest, investing and sacrificing that leads to reward. We continue and jump into Ecclesiastes. We can see these words. For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to plant, and a time to harvest. There is a time to invest in buying, plowing, planting, watering, and weeding that ultimately leads to harvest. And the principle of harvest is a foundational principle. Yet when we're not faithful to the process, when we try to skip we never really get to the rest of the process. We may get close, but we never experience true and full harvest when we skip any one of the other steps. But when we invest, when we nurture, when we tend, then we reap reward. There's a reason for the seasons. It's true in farming and gardening, but it's also true in business, and it's true in relationships, and it's true in life. And this principle of harvest undergirds nearly every other principle, which is why we looked at it first why we need to understand how God moves us towards the things that he has for us. But there's another principle we need to understand as we begin this conversation. And it relates to the reality that matters of God are ultimately matters of the heart. Matters of God are ultimately matters of the heart. Every harvest that God seeks is ultimately connected to a heart. Every one of them. There's no exceptions. Just consider when when God sent Samuel to anoint the next king of Israel who would succeed King Saul. He sent Samuel, and in that process, Samuel started to get distracted by what he could see, by how big or tall or strong candidates were. And, And God intervenes, and he has to correct them. And here's what he says in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. He says, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. We look at the things that we can see. We look at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And the matters of God are ultimately matters of heart. There's no exceptions to it. Every harvest he desires to bring about involves a heart. And what God cares about most is fundamentally connected to the heart. 
which really takes us to have a conversation around this bad boy. <laughs> this is by far my all-time favorite prop. <laughs> and I dig it out not just because of that, and not just because it proves what people say about heritage is true, that the heritage family has a big heart. <laughs> The reason I'm digging it out today, though, is because when God looks at us, when he evaluates what we're doing, what we're thinking, how we're acting, what we decide to pursue, this is the lens. This is the filter. He looks at the heart. Now, I want to talk more about what this is and what it means, but I need to frame the conversation with us for just a moment. Because for today, the cross here represents the heart of God. God so loved the world that he sent his son to die on a cross like that so that we could have life. The cross, for our purposes, represents the heart of God, his love. It represents him who is himself, love. But this represents our heart. It represents the center of our lives. It represents our passion, our desire, our love. It, it represents the thing that has our attention and our affection. This represents our hearts. But I also want to describe this pile of paraphernalia here. Because this represents our stuff. It's anything and everything we value. It's the stuff that we pursue and prioritize, what we invest in. It's our treasure. Now, for me, in this case, the chair could represent my career. This awesome 1980s track jacket can represent accomplishments. The ball and the shoes can represent our hobbies or abilities or lack thereof. These diplomas represent knowledge and training. This, this pile of junk here represents our stuff, what we treasure, what we value. And this may not represent your treasure, but hang with me for a moment. Imagine that it does. Because we all have stuff we value. And every day we place value on things that define how we live. Well, it, it decides what we pursue and protect and invest in. And whatever we're putting value on, whatever is our treasure, is defining us. It, it tells a little bit about who we are, but that's not all it does. It also determines the condition, location, and direction of our heart. See, we talk about the heart a lot in the world. It's in songs, it's in poems, it's in books. And most often, the counsel of the world is to simply follow your heart. Now, that sounds great. It even sounds noble and a bit romantic. But the problem comes in following that advice. Because there are a number of problems and issues with the advice of following your heart. And at the very top of the list is the simple reality that our heart was created to follow, not lead. Our heart was created to follow, not lead. That's one reason why the Bible is so clear in talking specifically and addressing the heart. Just consider some very familiar words from many of us out of Proverbs chapter 3, which says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. 
The reality is that our heart was created to follow, not to lead. The condition, location, and direction of our heart matters. So here's a fundamental underlying practicality to what I'm saying about the heart. It's that our heart is shaped by what we pursue. Our heart is shaped by what we pursue. It's shaped by the thing that we long for, the thing we desire, the the thing we want to have, the thing we chase. It's shaped by what we pursue, not what we prefer. Our heart follows what we invest in. We may want to align our heart to God's heart, but, but what we value, what we pursue, actually defines more than our preference, more than what we prefer. Our heart follows what we invest in. So whatever we pour our time, energy, resources, and effort into will ultimately draw our heart. And not just draw our heart, it will begin to woo our heart. And not just woo, it'll begin to rule. And then it leads. Because our heart was created to follow, not lead. And Jesus understood this when he talked about the concept of serving two masters. In Matthew chapter 6, if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and grab it. First book in the New Testament. Jesus has just finished talking about fasting, and he's about to describe our second principle in this series. It's the principle of treasure. So we're going to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to drop down to verse 24. Check out the words of Jesus. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now that word mammon is odd, and we don't use it in our modern vernacular, but it literally just means riches. What's it mean? It means riches. There's, there's some debate about the origins of the word, but it's, it doesn't matter where it came from. What it means is very clear. It means riches. It means materialism. It's, it's wealth personified. And it represents the things that we want or the things that we have. And it carries with it this idea of self-sufficiency. That we can do it and we don't need God. That's mammon. It's far more than what it's often translated as, which is just simply money. So here's what we have. Our heart is not created to lead, but to follow. And Jesus is talking about our heart here. And he says it can only follow one, not two. Our heart was created to follow one, not two, especially when it comes to the things of God. Our heart was not created, is not positioned to follow more than one. It's simply created to follow one, to follow the one, the one who it was and is and is to come. It was to follow him. We cannot serve two masters. It doesn't work that way. And that's really good to know and understand. But before Jesus said this in verse 24, he says something else. He actually gives another principle, one that if we're willing to hear, willing to understand and willing to embrace will radically change the way we live and relate to God. So back up with me to verse 19 for a moment. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, this is just really good advice, really good counsel, good information to, to think about the idea that where we invest and how we invest actually matters. It's just wise. But what Jesus is about to say next is incredibly important. 
because he tells us why. Take a look. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Not might be, could be, but will be. This is huge. This is a life-changing principle. And one of the keys to breaking patterns of addiction, to, to finding victory in the spiritual struggles of life, to really finding victory in any trouble in life. Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. It's very clear that our heart will always be where our treasure is based on what Jesus said. So what we consider our treasure then determines the location of our heart because our heart follows, it doesn't lead. Now again, something I've said before, I want to say it again, that God doesn't mind if we have stuff. He minds his stuff has us. It's not having things, it's things having us. And that's the problem because our heart was created to follow, not to lead. So here's the next reality in this conversation, that what or who our heart follows has authority over it. Whatever or whoever our heart follows has authority over it. Whenever we follow, we impart authority. If you agreed to follow somebody in your car as they drove their car to a destination, the moment you agree to follow them, you've given them authority. They're going to drive, you're going to follow, they're going to turn left, right, maybe they'll get you there, maybe they won't. But when we follow, we impart authority. And whatever or whoever we follow has authority over our heart, has control over our heart. So fundamentally, we may want to have our heart line up to the things of God. Say, God, I want you to have my heart. I want you to rule and reign in my heart. But the problem was we don't just get to pick where our heart is placed. We don't get to determine the location of our heart. We can influence it, but we don't just get to decide, like, I'm going to put my heart here because our heart follows our treasure. If we want to influence the location of our heart, we got to move our treasure because if our treasure is over here, even though we may want our heart aligned to the heart of God, where is our heart going to be? Come on now, where's it going to be? Over here with the treasure. It's not created to lead, it's created to follow. So if we want to have our heart aligned to him, we have to first align our treasure. We have to take everything that we are, everything about our identity, all of our stuff, all of our possessions, all of everything that we value, and we say, Lord Jesus, I give it to you. I lay it down before you. I put it before the cross. All that I am, I give to all that I know of you, and I surrender to you. When we do that, what happens to our heart? our heart automatically and naturally comes into alignment with the heart of God. We don't get to just pick the location of our heart. Too many times people are like, I love God, I love Jesus, so I'm gonna put my heart here with him, but we don't realign our treasure, and then we live in this tension of chasing and back and forth, and we do things we don't wanna keep doing, and we go places we never really intended to go in the first place, it's back and forth, back and forth, when all we really need to do is align our treasure. With open hands, submit it before the Father, and then our heart will be aligned to his heart. Yet when we let our stuff rule, we have to chase it. We have to follow it. And it will always be away from the heart of God. And we can't follow both. 
there's a reason Jesus talks so much about money and possessions and treasure. And more than anything else he ever taught about. And it wasn't because he thought it was evil. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. The issue is alignment. It's the alignment of our heart, and treasure is the key. But often the treasure takes priority and pushes out the relationship with God. It was theologian A.W. Tozer who really captured this concept well when he said things have become necessary to us, a development never originally intended God's gifts now take the place of God and the whole course of nature is upset by the monstrous substitution. And this is deep truth. This is good perspective. That the gifts have taken the place of God. What or who our heart follows has authority over it. So what do we do about it? So what? I mean, the world will say, follow your heart. But, but God has very different counsel for us. He says, lead your heart. He says, lead it. He says, take responsibility for the condition, location, and direction of your heart. We know from a number of scriptures, scriptures like Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, about the reality of the importance of the condition, location, and direction of our heart. And there's tons of other scriptures, but it was that missionary and church planter guy, Paul, who in a letter to the church of Colossae, wrote something that helps put this in perspective for us. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what he said. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above. This is, this is a great verse. And from it, we can deduce and confirm three specific things. First is that our heart can pursue different things. They can, we can pursue good things and we can pursue bad things, right things and wrong things. Our heart can pursue different things. The second is that it matters where our heart is. The location matters. It matters what it pursues because it can pursue lesser things. And that has a ripple into life and how we relate to God. But also third, this verse shows us that we have the ability to influence where our heart is. We can change where it is. We can't change it. Only God can change a heart. But we can move our heart off of one thing and set it on something else. As we remember that it relates to our treasure. It relates to what we value. Because our heart was created to follow, not lead. So I wonder where your heart is. Who or what it follows today, right now. Not, not who you hope it follows or who you want it to follow, but who is it following? Who has your heart? A lot of us struggle in life from not understanding how to influence what our heart follows. And we'll try out of willpower or self-discipline or sheer determination to, to manipulate our heart to the place we want it to go, but it's always going to drift towards the treasure reality. We'll find ourselves struggling in that close but not quite relationship with God. And we're struggling back to habits and practices we thought we were free from. Going back to places we never intended to go in life and relationships. Because we don't understand how or what our heart follows. So who has your heart? And you may be asking, well, how can I tell? <laughs> how do I know who or what my heart is serving or following? Well, one of the most simple ways 
is through the final principle I want to offer to you today. It's a simple concept, but it's profound to understanding who or what has your heart. And here's the reality, that we always sacrifice for what leads our heart. We always sacrifice for what leads our heart. So what we invest in, how we handle harvest, buying, plowing, planting, watering, and weeding, what we're tending, all of that reveals who or what has our heart. So if we will sacrifice for more possessions, for a better job or more stuff, but we won't sacrifice for the sake of Jesus, guess what? Mammon is our God. We may want our heart to be somewhere else. We may want it to be aligned to God, but our treasure determines its location. So as we begin to lean into the rest of this series, I want to invite all of us to do two things as we start. Two things. One's internal, one's external. The first is to focus your heart. Focus your heart. We can read these words in Proverbs where it says, Hear, my son or daughter, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Direct your heart. Focus it. This is an internal reality. Lead your heart. That's the counsel God has for us. Lead your heart. Take full responsibility for the condition, location, and direction of it. The world will say, look, stuff will solve your problems. Things will make you better. They will make you more. And that there is true satisfaction in our stuff. But listen, the love of things will always promise what only the love of God can provide. That mammon, that materialism, that Wealth personified will always promise, that love of things will always promise what only the love of God can provide. And God longs for people who follow his heart, men and women who have a heart for him. So focus your heart. Second, guard your heart. This is more external. Guard your heart. Again, in Proverbs, we can read these words. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. This conversation about the condition, location, and direction of our heart is not an overemphasis. This is not embellishment. This is not like we don't need this. The, our heart determines the course of our life. So you got to understand the principles behind it and guard your heart. Guard your heart from the things of this world. God created our hearts to follow him. And so within each one of us, there is a specific Location within our heart, within our being, within the center of our life that is designed only for Him. It is designed to be filled by Him alone. And it'll never be satisfied until it is. Yet on top of that, because God loves us, He also created things for us to use for our pleasure and for our good. But sin turned everything on its head. And now we tend to fill the spaces for God with our stuff. So guard your heart. Focus it and guard it. It matters. And it leaves us really with one final question. Going back to who has your heart today? Who has your heart today? Our hearts will always be where our treasure is. This, this, this big rolling heart is not just a cool metaphor. This is an accurate analysis of our spiritual reality. And until we value him and what he values more than our stuff, until we invite him to rule our life and for our heart to beat with his, 
we will find ourselves in a close but not quite relationship with God where the gifts have taken place of the giver. And we're struggling. And much of what is less in our lives, what's, what's wrong, what's not God's best, can be linked to God's gifts taking the place of God. And it's tragic. But the good news is, it doesn't have to stay that way. We can make decisions even today that realign our heart. Just as Paul told the church in Colossae, set your hearts on things above. We can set our hearts on him, on him who rose from the grave. And for those of you who have chosen to follow Jesus at some point before today, there may be a need to re-engage that commitment because somewhere along the way, your heart drifted with your things and it drifted away from the heart of God. And so today, your opportunity is to reaffirm your commitment to realign your things and your possessions before the foot of the cross so that your heart comes into alignment to him. To have that recommitment conversation. Now, for some of you, you've not had the initial conversation where you've asked Jesus to take authority in your life. You've not experienced relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but today you can. You can actually say, I give all that I am to all that I know of you, Jesus. And you can find salvation and your heart can come into alignment. And now you've got to sit in a space where you've got to keep that alignment and guard and focus your heart. But it takes a conversation. And on the back of the note guide at the very bottom are three simple steps and a prayer where you can have that conversation and you can align your heart to God today through Jesus Christ by having that conversation with him. You, you, can, you can have your heart changed. Your life can be changed as you invite God to bring that transformation through Jesus Christ. Inviting him to turn your heart towards his and fully aligning it to him. But that is directly tied to how we handle our stuff. And we may need to buy or plow or plant or water or weed a bit to get our heart aligned and to keep it there. Because seeing the harvest that God wants to see always involves a cost, and it requires us to shift our treasure, shift what we value to reap the harvest he wants to see. And we're going to continue in that conversation around principles as we continue through our series. In fact, next week, we're going to have an opportunity to dig into a, another principle and even another one beyond that and hear from a man by the name of Robert Morris. He is a gifted and anointed teacher around the principles we're engaging in, and you do not want to miss the next two weeks. The principles we're going to be talking about have been life-changing for me, and I believe they can be life-changing for you. So be sure to make time to come in the next two weeks of this journey. But before we step now back into worship through song, I want to take a moment to create a space for some prayer, just some conversation with God, because each of us really need to take a moment to have a conversation with God about the condition, location, and direction of our hearts. And I want to create the space to do that. In fact, I'm going to start a prayer time, but then I'm not going to say amen. I'm literally just going to get up and walk away from that space and allow you to sit at Bettendorf here at Rock Island or even online in a conversation doing some business with God, getting your heart aligned as you realign your treasure in submission to him. So I'm going to start the prayer. I invite you to take whatever prayer posture you want. I'm going to kneel down up here. But I invite you to take whatever posture you're comfortable in and we're going to have this conversation with the Lord, and then I'm going to step away. But I invite you in that space to have your own conversation as you do your own business with him today around the condition, location, and direction of your heart. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we come before you in the name of Jesus. 
grateful for the love that you have demonstrated to us through his life and death and resurrection. Grateful for the love you demonstrate to us while you pursue us even when we wander. Grateful for your good gifts. Thank you for being Jehovah Jireh, our provider. But Lord, at the same time, I think we can all acknowledge our proclivity to drift, our heart to drift towards treasure, our treasure to not be aligned with you. And Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for those moments where our heart has not been aligned to you, where we've embraced treasure, we've valued the things of this world, we've valued things we can earn or accomplish more than our identity in you and our relationship with you. But Lord, as we begin this matter of principles conversation, as we engage more principles that you have established for us to live by, Lord, may you speak. May we live by the principle of harvest so that you can accomplish what you want through us. May we live by the principle of treasure, understanding how our heart stays aligned to you. And as my brothers and sisters across our network have their own conversation now, I pray that you would speak and lead powerfully in these moments.